Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. It's that time of the week. Welcome back to the third in our third series of our top 10 lists. And if you haven't catched the previous one yet, um, you can do that in the podcast archive right now. Uh, joined by three guests today. Welcome back to our chief editor, Kevin Turner. Uh, what's the list you've put together for us this week? So this is a bit more difficult to define than the last couple, but hopefully still fun. Top 10 one-hit wonders. What do you mean? In Formula 1. So these are people that only won one World Championship Grand Prix. So I'm kind of rating them both on their careers uh, as drivers at my one race, but also the, the quality of their one win. Yes. So it's kind of weighing those two things together. One There's win. There's also a bit of shock factor involved, which comes yeah. in much higher up the list. How did they do it? What was the race? Who? What were they driving? Exactly. All those things. But also, play. Uh, what was their overall career like? Oh, so that so you has do count factor the, that in as well, which is quite well. a difficult balance to get. You see. Yeah. I thought that made well. A couple of people on the list I thought had to be on the list, even though the actual race they won perhaps wasn't as mega as some of the others they did. We so will find a bit of balance. We'll find out what our fellow guests think about your list and whether they would reorder it somewhat. Our second guest uh, from the first two podcasts is uh, motorsport journalist Damien Smith. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Always nice to see you in person. Although I feel like I see you each week because I have Autocard delivered uh, through my letterbox. Uh, so I have uh, your face smiling at me. My ugly week. mug in the corner there. Yes, yeah, yes, uh, right. It's a very friendly face, isn't it? It's, it's always face. nice to see. Uh, but Although I did think at the Autosport Awards it felt like there were about 18 Damien Smiths because every time I came around the corner, Damo was stood there. I was just, I was haunting you, wasn't I? Yeah, but they're actually very helpful because we had a few last-minute dramas that Damo stepped up heroically to help He is very heroic. He's very heroic. That's what everyone says, yeah, I've noticed that. (laughs) Any fellow listeners who also um, like to read magazines, as I do, because I I love a magazine, uh, much to my wife's annoyance, because you bought, you told me you needed the big screen iPad to read magazines (laughs) on the iPad, and then it's in the drawer. Um, But I just love, and I I, I probably have too many, Um, but but there is that thing that if you do read magazines as well, there's the little picture of the person who wrote the story. Now, I can tell you that there's plenty of people who look nothing like that picture 
because it was taken many years ago. Uh, but I mean, you do. You do indeed look like. Well, thank you. You, you see the magazine. You you, you look like yourself. <laughs> I suppose that's a good thing. Yeah, I think that there's a, there's a certain uh, person on Autosport whose photo um, has um, is is quite old. Let's just say. I, I think we're kind and should leave it. You should leave it, yeah. I once got accused yeah. of having a fake beard put on my picture to make myself look older. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, which we won't do now. No. I thought that was an odd thing to criticise uh, someone for. Well, we, uh, uh, I say recently, it wasn't at all, had our 70th Autosport edition. Goodness, it was during lockdown, and, and that whole time is a blur in my brain. But I look back at the 60th magazine... Um, and Kev, you're very fresh faced. Like that, that twelve years, twelve years ago. <laughs> that's. Uh, I'm like, who is that? And it, it says, it says your name. So it must it's, be you. It's not the time. It's the mileage. I think is the question. <laughs> and the number of children that's as the well. Thing. It would be pre-children. You. Yeah, pre-children. Yeah. I might uh, child myself in 2000. And, yes. Well, six when I started. Yeah. But obviously, it's 2010 that. Uh, that uh, that 60th that you're talking about was in, yeah. yeah. We, we had a picture of the whole staff, didn't we, at the back? Yeah, yeah, sort of taken from uh, a high-up camera. Which we couldn't do it well, and some copy and pasting. Oh, really? Photoshopping to get a few people that may not have been able to make it. <laughs> I, I was on the 50th, and uh, we we did the photo in Hampton Road in Teddington, where our office was in those days, and there were quite a few people who weren't there. And uh, as you can imagine, that the, the, the Mac work in those days <laughs> wasn't, it wasn't really too, too you could really, you could tell. You could tell quite a lot. There, there was a clamour from certain members of staff to have uh, one for the 70th, but on the basis that it was in the middle of a pandemic. Didn't think that was a very good reason <laughs> to get everyone together from the various corners of the country that they were then in. You could have had um, uh, maybe like a page of selfies all in remote areas. That's the modern thinking, you see. Yeah, like on Anton Deck's show when they have all of their audience on a big screen. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. I always look awful in selfies, though. Everyone does. Yeah. Fair enough. So let's get on to our third guest. Uh, <laughs> Who's appeared in none of these pictures. <laughs> Digitally, we could do it, I guess, but, um, yeah, yeah. but maybe not. Uh, Hayden Cobb, editor of autosports.com. You weren't here 12 years ago. Um, but so Go you on, tell us, what were photo. you doing 12 years ago, Hayden? Go on, we might as well finish yourself. Still at school. Oh, Brilliant. I'm so sorry. Good, I love this. It just yeah, makes Kev look I mean, really old. It I was love it. secondary school, so... <laughs> it doesn't help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, I mean... I, I wouldn't have been against uh, a photo in the 70th one, but the yeah the excuse to the hello police officer why are you all here together not social distancing we just wanted a picture that doesn't quite doesn't quite fly so yeah and not not to mention everyone's spread out to the far corners of of the country it would have been even harder to sort out so well, Hayden yes. does deserve to be in a photo as well because his hair is always amazing <laughs> it is isn't it it's, it's immaculate it's oh, kind of sure slightly annoyingly good there's a reason this is a podcast not a video though so that's because yeah. I'm in it uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the photo would have been a work event so it would have been fine no cheese and wine that's true yes. yeah oh. a work event anyway mm. uh, let's get into the podcast today and argue this one out one hit wonders who's in 10th spot Kev. So number 10 is Jean Lacey, 1995 Canadian Grand Prix. So as a race, I, I mean, it was a decent race. He um, he overtook teammate Gerhard Berger. He did overtake Damon Hill. <laughs> David Coulthard spun off. Uh, I and mean, he was running a, a, a decent second, but he was never going to catch Mark Schumacher's Benetton. And then Chewie had a gearbox problem and Lacey came through to win. So it wasn't 
an epic drive. I'm sure it, it, well, it isn't his race in my life. He picked a different race, uh, which he did with, I think, with Charles Bradley um, during the pandemic. So, um, but it, but he's on there. Jean's on there because it's Jean Alacy and he should have won more races. You know, he had almost Chris Amon levels of bad luck at various points when he was at Ferrari. You know, cameras falling off and hitting cars with, with Berger. Um, problems from the pit stop when he's leading at Monza. That's then the same race. Uh, 94 yeah. and then 95. I think he had two successive problems, didn't he, at, yeah. uh, with Ferrari? And then, of course, in '97 at Monza, he, he should have won, but got jumped in the pits by DC and McLaren. Mm. Even DC says, "Yeah, it was basically race one by the pit stops," mm. uh, and he had all sorts of things stopping winning. And if you remember all that incredible impact he had when he arrived in F1, you know, fourth on his Grand Prix debut, repassing Senna at Phoenix at the start of 1990, he was a great person to have on the grid. Everyone liked him. He was he was fever. He was what we'd call a fever driver. But he wasn't he wasn't the complete package. I think that you know we'd probably looking around the table think we'd agree that he wasn't the complete package. But he definitely deserved to be a Grand Prix winner. So that's why he's on the list. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a relief that he won that one because it would have been it been wrong to for him not to have a Grand Prix win. But um, and he, yeah, he did have a, as you say a lot of close calls. I think the Monza '95 really hurt him because that's obviously in front of the Tifosi. I think he was eight laps from home when uh, the car broke and handed, handed to Johnny Herbert you know so it was it was um yeah painful painful at times but everyone who worked with him uh loved him as a as a as a character and as a as a person to have around the team um, but obviously he could be infuriating when he forgot to stop for fuel and things like that in Australia but, what well that, I think he was at Prost when he switched off the traction control at Monaco one year so it's because from a fan's point of view, that's just totally cool. But from an engineering, get the best out of the equipment, it's like you probably could yeah. do something between getting annoyed about it and switching it off completely. You know, it's that kind of thing. But I think that's why, that, yeah, that's why people people love them, isn't it? Yeah, there's a few on this list that you say the feel good factor came when when it eventually arrived, and just yeah, as you said, sort of how much he was adored by his team and and, and fellow drivers, but also huge hit with the fans and. Yeah, I guess the combination of, of perhaps it'd be interesting to see where other people are sort of argue on this list is those near misses almost make that one hit wonder better. Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Or indeed, depending on the context, worse. Because it's like, <laughs> you've just said there that, yeah, sure, he's a one hit wonder, but you should, probably should have won far more. Shouldn't even technically be on, be on this it, list. Yeah, exactly. He sort of shouldn't be on the list, but because he is then mm. that meant they had to be on it if that makes sense totally, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he had to be represented stay with us we're, we won't yeah, win yeah, more yeah. sense but it was also Canada 95 was also the last win for a V12 it, well, yes it would have been yeah because 95 was the last C the 412 T2 was the last V12 yeah, they went Ferrari, V10 yeah. next year so that's fitting that it was a Ferrari V12 and that it was John Lacey driving it that just makes makes a lot of sense and of course number 27 Absolutely, circuit mm. your wheel nerve. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that was that was appropriate as well. So yeah, it was it was the story right itself. It was, it was just a great nice. feel feel good factor. Sounds to me like you're arguing him up the list. Let's find <laughs> well, out. Well, I think Let's there's good out. <laughs> Go on there. <laughs> Number nine. Number nine is Giancarlo Baghetti at the 1961 French Grand Prix. So this is kind of a different story, really. Although the race itself, again, it, yeah, he had the he had the older uh, V6 as opposed to the 120 degree. Uh, V6 that his teammates had but it was his first world championship Grand Prix start uh, and he'd <laughs> bizarrely he'd already won two F1 races by then because he'd won the two non-championship F1 races before that um, and he started 12th and he was in a slipstream battle most of the times at Reims the French Grand Prix um, and all the quick cars basically fell out and he found himself in a duel in the closing stages with Dan Gurney in a Porsche 
and essentially, I mean, he outpowered Gurney. He was, he was always going to have the, the run from the from the last corner to the start-finish line, so he, he won by a tenth of a second. So as a race, again, not perhaps the finest performance. Certainly we'll get to better ones on the list. Mm. But to win a World Championship Grand Prix on your debut... and he By that margin? By that margin, yeah, exactly. Holy cool event, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't count Farina winning on his Grand Prix World Championship debut because he was established Grand Prix drivers just happened to be the first world championship race and we're excluding the Indy 500 drivers because they weren't Grand Prix either um, so uh, yeah I think that's just a kind of a cool story and, and then his career just didn't go anywhere after that start so it's a really odd career but he won his first three four run races because there was two, yeah. two non-championship races as well it's just amazing, amazing. And he was amazing. Italian F1 champion that year I think is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think yeah. there was an yeah. Italian F1 title <laughs> yeah. was a, 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 a few races thrown together and, sure. and called a championship which is just bizarre well, one of the many great things about Nigel Roebuck, formerly of this parish, um, is that when he, um, when old Formula One drivers used to turn up to Grand Prix at Monza or whatever, um, and no one recognised them, Nigel obviously did. Not only that, he'd then go and talk to them and interview them, and he's got all these great interviews, all these old. And he interviewed Baghetti one year and and spoke to him, and he was lovely, just a lovely man apparently. And um, he, you know, he did carry on and have um, a so-so career, but it never just. <laughs> he started. He started where everyone else wants to finish. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd say. I'd say this is the second most random, surprising one on the list, uh, and we'll get to the number one much higher up. But I think this is the, probably the most like. Huh? Okay. Yeah. How yeah. did that happen? Moment. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Yeah. You had a, uh, Hayden one of those moments of huh? Yeah, okay. massively. And, and so like, say career, there's a name. Okay. Career peaking at the start and then petering out massively, but just a nice oddity. Makes for a lovely, lovely feature. I think one of our colleagues could uh, could probably just write a whole piece on that race and on on Baghetti. It's just just wonderful, really. Mm. Okay, yeah. moving on. Number eight. Number eight. So, um, <laughs> listeners of previous episodes will know I've got a bit of a hobby horse about this, anyway. <laughs> but number eight is Robert Kubica at the 2008 Canadian Grand Prix. I think this is probably a, a better win in a way than the previous two but it still does rely on mm. the, the, the comedy Kimi Raikkonen and Lewis Hamilton not seeing a red light and just driving into the, well actually he has a choice he's got Raikkonen on one side and Kubica's yeah. uh, BMW on the other and Lewis for for this list made the right choice <laughs> tapped into the back of Kimi a very unimpressed Kimi Raikkonen yeah. and off went uh, off went Kubica to, to take his only win a year after that enormous accident mm. uh, at Montreal really one of the worst I'd say in recent F1 can we say recent? Is 2007 still recent? I think recent? so. Yes, yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. It's two, it begins with a two, so it's recent. Yeah, you've still got active drivers uh, that were on... Yes, I like that. Well, yeah, Fernando Alonso is still going 2058. <laughs> but that, that gives you um, that, that nice stretch. Back, that's nice. So, I like yeah. that. That's good logic. But so, that was high speed, scary to see. Just one of those accidents. You think, oh, goodness, how... Yeah, mm. and horrible. He, and he was incredible in 2008. You know, I think after that race, he was actually leading the championship. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a good win. You know, he had to make his, his two-stop work. He was helped by his, by his teammate, Nick Highfield, as we've sort of mentioned before. Um, but he's on the list, really, again, it's for, for what he could have achieved and how good he was. A little bit like a Lacey deserved to get, be a Grand Prix winner. But I think, unlike a Lacey, I think he was the complete package. We just didn't get to see it because of his rally accident. Is yeah. that why he came back and wanted or he tried to come back to Formula 1 yeah I think it was the case of one of those guys who again he knew how good he was he knew he knew what what he'd lost and I think there was there must have been a lot of personal just a battle within himself to prove to prove for himself 
that he could come back and it was it was a, it was a target to push him on i think yeah great story isn't it really you know his 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 comeback who cares how he how he got on the fact he the fact he came back at all is a miracle i think yeah, yeah massively I'm, I'm one of those that had things gone more fortunate and in the right way he wouldn't even be in this list at all because he wouldn't be a one hit wonder he, yeah. he in fairness with yeah the right circumstances and and machinery to an extent yeah, he, he'd be multiple, multiple Grand Prix winner. Arguably, could even be yeah a, a world champion. That was what many pegged him as, as a future world champion. But um, yeah, unfortunately, never never came to be. Um, but yeah, again, much like the Lacey, sort of yeah, the nice story, sort of encapsulated the, the, the connections of it. Like, like you mentioned about the, the crash the year before at the same at the same venue, and just yeah, it was a nice sort of oddity about it as well. Sort of like the other ones. Okay, right, moving on, number seven. Another feel-good one, I think. Go on. Number seven, Olivier Panis, 1996 Monaco Grand Prix. Yeah. You know, Ligier hadn't won a race for 15 years, yeah. uh, and obviously Panis didn't didn't win any others, and Ligier became Prost shortly afterwards. Mm. Um, 14th on the grid at Monaco. You know, Monaco often has rubbish, boring races, doesn't it? But every now and again, it throws up something completely ridiculous and amazing. And that was, that was it. The reason it's not higher up is because you know, Damon Hill had that race in his pocket. You know, he was, and that would have been such a nice story as well. You know, the track that, that his dad had won so many times, and uh, and he really was driving brilliantly. Um, damp start, Schumacher crashed. Hill didn't had the lead, and he just completely disappeared down the road. He had a very rare Renault engine failure, uh, and I think Jean Lacy had a suspension problem. Uh, I think it was a suspension again. Another race he could have won, mm-hmm. but but was robbed. But but to be fair to Panis, he'd overtaken a lot of cars as well. Um, including my one of my favourite moves on, on, on Eddie Irvine at the hairpin, which left Eddie furious and stationary for a, for a moment. Because to pass around Monaco, you have to take risks like that. Otherwise, you just you just follow him a leader. Um, and also, what we found out when we when we spoke to him about this is that he'd actually been he'd been told to pit for fuel towards the end because uh, it was one of those drying go move to slick races. Uh, and he said, "There's no way I'm coming in," because <laughs> he was only a few seconds ahead of David Coulthard. He knew that he was never going to, you know, that he would lose the win. Mm. So he turned it on to full, full lean and and cruised around as much as he could. Bearing in mind that DC was only a couple of seconds behind, it wasn't like he had a huge lead to sit on. And I think everyone's pleased that it, he he did he did manage to get to the end and 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 take the win. So yeah, a, another feel good one, I think. Mm. Yeah, one of those being right place, right time. But like you say, made the moves to be in the right place at the right time that, that probably comes up in a few of the other ones as well and yeah I guess feel good I can't really doubt it really in terms of where else it would be it certainly is above the first three that we've mentioned in this list and like you say the venue makes a difference as well the fact that it's at that circuit where passing isn't easy and as you say the races are often processional but occasionally you get an, an, an event like this or a driver is nursing a car home that has no right to win that race, and then they go and win Monaco. You know, so it's those kind of stories that make you think, "Oh, what a, you know, what a great event!" And there was a Ligier. I love it. I love that. When I was a child of the eighties, I loved Ligiers when I was a little boy. So um, to see uh, a Ligier win again out of the blue, so many years later, was 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 very cool. It's the sort of random result that it's good to have in F. Well, in the championship, but in F one, yeah. it's like yeah. almost. We've said this before. It's almost like F one has got. They're all a bit too good. Yeah. I mean, in 2021, we did get a couple of sort of surprising ones, didn't we? With um, but Panis yeah, had some got... momentum at that stage, didn't he? And you know, into '97, he was ah. he was driving really well until he got that broken leg in Canada. Yeah, that, that yeah. kind of that kind of um, 
put the brakes on for a while and he, he didn't never quite got that momentum back did he in terms of his career no he didn't and actually didn't he chase I think he chased Jacques Villeneuve quite closely in I want to say the Spanish Grand Prix earlier on mm. um, because the Bridgestone Prost combo was kind of a bit the surprise package at the start of the year mm. and and yeah as you say riding high you know um, yeah Arpanis was a good driver and um, he had quite a long career I don't think again one of these that wasn't a megastar but it was it was great that he had his day day mm. of days okay next on the list Number six, Gunnar Nielsen, 1977 Belgium GP. So Nielsen's is a bit of a sort of tragic story. He kind of could be easily forgotten because he wasn't really around that long. He died of cancer within about a year and a half of uh, taking this this win. But it's actually a really well-taken victory um, where he, it's essentially one of these, another one of these sort of wet, drying races. Um, he, started, he started third for Lotus uh, and he has to close down and overtake Nicky Lauda. I mean, that I think is a pretty, you know, in a... Yeah, uh, you know, in the Ferrari, who's on his way to winning his second world title, and there's no doubt about it. You know, he catches him and he nails him and he and he goes away. Um, so it's 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 a race that he's gone out and earned. It's not one where other people have had to fall out. Yeah, you know, he's gone he's mm. gone ahead and won it. And I think, um, given what happened to him subsequently, uh, and the fact that he was very much in the shadow of Mario Andretti, who was sort of rebuilding with Colin Chapman Lotus after some really yeah, really dodgy couple of years, and they were kind of just getting into that ground effects, about to be setting the pace. Um, it's nice that Nielsen Nielsen got his. I keep, we keep saying that, don't we? But I think I think it's a I think it's a reminder that he was actually a talent that that shouldn't be forgotten. David Purley in the lek held up louder and uh, caused a right old stink, didn't he? Because um, louder was furious with him and. David Purley as next Marine didn't care too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do you feel about how how is the list coming together so far? Uh, do you want to argue anyone up or down? We're halfway through. I th- the nice thing about the Nielsen win, as Kev said, is he was a properly earned win. It wasn't a, an inherited win uh, per se. You know, he actually went out and and won that race. Um, so, and all these so far there's definitely that feel good factor we've talked about is definitely part of it i think this one's quite hard to judge from a sort of a scientific point of view but it, it's deeply subjective and um i'm liking what i'm seeing so far about you hayden you very think? much agree yeah one on on merit but also extreme extremely impressive merit so who who is beating at the time whereas the, the other ones we've had previously there has been that slice of good fortune some in some shape or form, or, or in a lot of forms, um, for pretty much all the other plans. So that's why, for me, it, yeah, it ranks where it is at the moment. All right, we're halfway through. We'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll check out the top five one-hit wonders in Formula One. Stick around. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Okay, welcome back to the podcast. Another one of our top ten lists. Well, it's not ours, Kev's top ten lists. So we're going through them and seeing if we disagree with where you've put the drivers. The third show in this third series has been very cordial, Kev. There's been no arguments. I mean, there's never really any arguments, are there, on these podcasts? No, not normally. I mean, I hope it sparks some good debate and yeah. some fun. I mean, I think maybe because this is such a subjective one, this is... This isn't one where I think with the drivers and the cars ones, there's you can kind of stick to more specific criteria with this because you're trying to balance both the actual event itself and the drivers' careers. It's you know it's more it's more of a discussion point, isn't it? To to highlight some you know everyone knows about you know Mark Schumacher and 91 wins and Lewis Hamilton with 103 and all that sort of stuff. But this is highlighting mm. some of the other drivers that uh, further down the list of the 103 World Championship winners. Let's work our way up the list. Who's at number five? Vittorio Brambilla at the 1975 Austrian Grand Prix. This is like the Nielsen one, but even better, because he charges through from eighth on the grid. He passes Lauda and James Hunt and disappears down the road, and he's almost half a minute ahead when they red flag it. Um, and spins across the line. Uh, yeah, so the, the famous, uh, the famous <laughs> image. <laughs> the style. Uh, I mean, he, it's, it's just comedy. It's, it's just one of those, you know, he crashes the car across the line, presumably in huge surprise that he's won, uh, and crumples. The, so there's, there's images of him going around on the slowdown lap with the, the front of the march, um, you know, all ruined and crumpled. But actually, I think that that can overshadow how good the race drive was. You know, he went past Handstuck, um, who was you know wet weather master? You know he he did a lot of, of fantastic drives in the wet, both in F1 and obviously in sports car racing. Went past Lauda, went past Hunt, and was completely on a different planet on that day. Um, so I think it, this is a genuine like proper win um, from further back and more emphatically than Nilsson. So that's why he makes the. Are you looking at? Um, yeah, I, I thought I better go and look at that it's image. A great image, isn't it? Um, <laughs> and uh, and to have to have a look and uh, yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's uh, he's got his hand in the air on the the the, the cool down lap, but it's yeah. a pretty. Is wrecked... he celebrating or is he calling for a new front wing? <laughs> <laughs> Probably both at the same time. Yeah, or letting the drivers behind him know he's going slowly. You don't know, but, um, but there's loads no. of great stories about Brambio and his his brother was a mechanic, and they were a bit of a double act. And I remember my dad telling me a story when I was a kid about um, uh, him giving a lift. I think it was to his brother on the back of a Formula One car. A test session and um, out on the circuit. I think they it had broken down. They got it going again. He said, "I'll give you a lift back to the pits." And his brother got on the back of the car and he forgot he was there <laughs> and, and went a bit quick and, and got back to the pits. And his, his brother was sort of looking rather shocked. Still, 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 still there. there. Still, still there. there. Yeah, yeah. That's important. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I have to double check that one. I've only just thought of it, but um, he was a real, um, uh, real character of the scene. But um, in terms of career. If this list has anything about sort of career kind of um, influence and, and longevity and uh, importance in Formula One, I mean, Alacy's got to be much further up and Brambia further down, I'd have thought. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's where um, the, this one is quite difficult. It's, it's more almost a discussion about the 10 because, yeah, uh, yeah Brambilla in terms of ability is, would be much further down you know, and impact would be much further down. You, you'd have Alacy and Kubica much higher. The reason it's there is because of the nature of that of that particular win. Um, I think is a really it's a really strong drive, almost mm. outstanding within his career. Whereas actually, some of the ones further down the list doesn't necessarily stand out in their individual careers. I've just watched the Bernie Eccleston series that's coming out on Discovery Plus. That's just just been uh, released, um, and I've seen the second episode, which covers a bit of this race. And there's some really great archive footage of Bernie going absolutely mad in the pit lane to stop the race. 
that it's too dangerous and that you know the, the rain's coming down and and basically just losing his rag completely which you didn't see very often that was interesting mm. the other bit that was interesting was after the race bernie in a porter cabin uh, a table covered in money and basically starting to count it out and giving up and just sort of scooping it into a, 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 a massive case and talking to, basically he's just been paid and he's going to dish out the money to their promoters and, and, and get out of there as quick as he can basically and it's a, it's a fantastic footage if you get the chance to see it and that's from 75 Austria Wow! Yeah, definitely nice. check that out. That sounds, yeah. that sounds amazing. I think it fits into the legend quite well of just suitcases or you know backpacks of money. The whole time, mad, mad seventies Formula One. That's what it's all about, and that sort of encapsulates that era. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on and up the list. Who's next? So number four is four is Jano Trulli, two thousand four Monaco Grand Prix, uh, and this is almost like a perfect weekend performance. Really, truly got, a, I think, a bit of an unfair reputation in the races you know the truly train all the rest of it but really it's because he was so good at qualifying and then if the car's not quick enough they tend to you know him and Ralph Schumacher used to end up in the same place because that's where the performance of the car was when they were in uh, Toyota uh, and let's remember who his teammate was for that race that was Fernando Alonso who he pulled away from in the first stint uh, beat to pole by myself saying in fact Nigel Roebuck in his uh, the end of the season said that that Trudy's pole lap was probably about as close to perfection as a car and driver has ever been now wrote Nigel was <laughs> Nigel has seen some stuff man uh, so for him to say that is pretty remarkable and I think Trudy is one of the great qualifiers mm. he, even though he would never really make anyone's list of greatest racing drivers but actually I think he yeah he was fantastically quick over one lap but here he nailed the whole weekend and it wasn't it wasn't a truly train behind him. Yeah, he pulled away. There was a threat from Schumacher and the obviously the very fast F two thousand and four, which won just about everything else that year. Mm. Um, but then he had his his uh, one of his crazy moments with uh, one Pablo Montoya in the tunnel behind the safety car, where they managed to crash into each other, which was, I mean, not really befitting of either of them. But that removed the Ferrari threat. Um, Alonso had crashed, um, but then he had to deal with Jensen Button in the um, in the BAR, the Honda. Mm. Uh, coming at him late in the race, and he didn't make mistakes, and you know he really looked in control the whole the whole weekend. Fantastic qualifying performance. Now looked like someone who surely must win other races, but it never it never really happened for him. And he and he lost the drive, and I would suggest that he probably would have done a better job in the two thousand and five Renault than than Giancarlo Fisichella who replaced him. Yeah, um, those the arguments he put across there is probably why I actually put it a bit lower in terms of yes, he dropped the front and was there, but it was. Monaco as well, famously much easier to defend there than probably anywhere else. And with those hitting trouble, or for various mm. reasons, directly behind him, so he didn't necessarily get any to get involved in that. But yeah, so combination of that where things came towards him, came to his favour, and another one that probably should have won a, a few more, and therefore wouldn't be sort of eligible uh, eligible for this list. I, I guess is what I would put into it. But it's nice to have him on the list. I think, yeah. Um, certainly justified, but probably a bit lower for me. I think the reason I put it there is partly because I think as a career, Truly is ahead of Brambilla and Nelson, oh, yeah, and probably yeah, yeah. Panis. But and going then on as, the, a, as an individual race, on, on he's probably itself, ahead of yeah, yeah. Canada, 2008 Canada, 1961 French Grand Prix, and 95 Canada. So, as a combination of career plus that event, is what what gets him up yeah, uh, so he, high. He so. properly won that race. So you remember when like people would say like, "Oh, this year Modena and Atural, he could be pretty good," and he was. And he didn't, but he didn't quite win the race. Oh, ninety one Monaco, second, was wasn't he? Was yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> but, um, mm. and it was that year where a lot of people said truly in a. Rent 
Renault around Monaco. This this could be his chance, and it was, and he took it, and he took it emphatically. And I thought it was a, it was a really, it it seemed like the start of something big. <laughs> well, <laughs> it didn't quite work out. That and way. actually, he'd been outpacing Alonso more often than not in that first part of two thousand and four. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he probably rightly actually didn't think that he was. Flavio Briatore's man mm. and that, that was Alonso yeah. Yeah. and obviously Alonso is a you know a force but at that point Trudy was you know doing pretty well against I've him a little Trudy story my my second Autosport Awards in 97 he was a guest and he was flying into Heathrow and I was only 22 23 years old something like that and I was on the staff and um, I was given an, an S-class Mercedes probably broke all sorts of insurance rules and told to go and pick him up from Heathrow and me and my colleague Tim Scott went to Heathrow to pick him up on the Sunday afternoon. Uh, he flew in and Tim sat in the back while I was the chauffeur mm. and interviewed him on the way to the, the Grosvenor. And uh, he was lovely, really charming. And um, it was quite cool picking up this new F1 driver, taking him to the, sh- the, the awards. And what, what really impressed me was at the end of the night, I was standing around. I was always at one of the back tables at that stage because I was a junior, you know. He sought me out just to say thank you and shook my hand. Oh. And thanks for picking me up. And he was a real, real gent. Nice, lovely. Class move, that is. That's a class move. And I just thought, actually, remember, he had led very early on in his career with with Prost when he got thrown in the opportunity. Yeah, he was he was a real talent, truly. I think he was one of those drivers that needed the car to be perfect. Mm. It was it had to be right in that narrow band of you know he wasn't the sort of guy that's going to haul. Yeah, you know, he's not the sort of guy, he's not an Alonso that's going to go airborne and bits fall off the car and go. No, I've got this, chaps. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, get it yeah. back. Put some plasters on it. I'm, I'll go back out there. I, I always remember really thing. Uh, our deputy editor now, Marcus Simmons, who was on the staff even back then, used to rave about him in Formula Three. I mean, he was you know um, he was going to be he was going to be mega basically, and he was he was he was really quick, but he just never quite plugged together the career we we kind of hoped for him mm. I've opened up a, a picture of his podium win next to Rubens and uh, Jensen just to bring back some memories of uh, watching that and uh, and yeah fascinating to uh, to look back at those days and think goodness yeah like there was some untapped potential there and he actually drove some half decent cars or at least had the potential to be half decent I think that's cars. the key I think half decent in the 70s and 80s was enough to get you a win occasionally yeah. when the quick mm. stuff broke down I think half decent in the 21st century gets you 7th and maybe so, yeah. a, maybe a 5th or a 6th yeah, if they yeah. play Skittles at the first course remember it came in 04 which was one of um, the Schumacher mega seasons which yeah. was deeply dull most of the time because <laughs> he was so dominant so uh, it was a really nice sort of um, story we all needed at the time. It was quite a difficult yeah. one to watch though, because Jensen was still after his first win at that point as well. Yeah, been struggling for you, and he's like, "Oh, I can't like either of these guys to win." Mm. So it's not going to be a Ferrari this time. <laughs> right, let's get onto the podium and our top three. Start with number three, obviously. Peter Gethin, nineteen seventy-one Italian Grand Prix. He chose it as his race of my life. Uh, although he had a very good career, mainly outside of F one in Formula Five Thousand. Uh, and did beat the F one cars at Brands Hatch in seventy three. Although most of them did break down, um, but this one. Uh, he was in. He actually dropped away from. It was a slipstream. It was the last uh, Tanning Grand Prix before they put the chicanes in. Um, so the average speed was ridiculous. Uh, the winning average speed was almost 151 miles an hour, which is quicker than which is quicker than the average speeds now. And I think even in the 70s they thought that was perhaps a little bit much. Um, so he was in a slipstream battle. He actually dropped away and broke BRM's rev limit by about 500 rpm to chip away, get back to it, and he just arrived in the closing stages. 
Um, he did need a bit of luck. A few of the quick, even he said that teammate Joe Siffert could probably have won it. We've talked previously about Chris Amon's bad luck in a previous episode. He could have won that race for Matra. Mike um, Halewood could be on this list, couldn't he? He was in the mix for that one as well. Yeah, Mike Halewood. Yeah, well, I mean, he was a candidate for best drivers not to win a Grand Prix, actually. He was sort of outside, the, didn't quite make it into the 10. So, yeah, so uh, there's Ronnie Peterson, who at that point hadn't won a race. Francois Sever, who hadn't won his Grand Prix yet. Um, so another candidate for this is didn't quite make it on. Howden Ganny in the effectively the third BRM and Howard in the 30s. And there's footage of this you can find. It's it's a great it's a great last lap. So Gethin just gets himself into the right place. Uh, and there's there's a sort of three abreast, three abreast. He manages to uh, he manages to get the lead outside going through Parabolica on the inside. Peterson tucks up back into his slipstream. Uh, and pulls out as they go across the line, but misses out by 0.01 of a second. But my, my favourite stat about that race is that there's 0.61 of a second covering the top five. Imagine being six tenths away from the winner and finishing fifth. Yeah. That's yeah. incredibly harsh. Sort of like a 100-meter um, sprint race rather yeah, than a so Grand Prix. Exactly, yeah. So it's the nature of the victory, like it's a, and it's a record-breaking one. That record stood for about three decades before it was broken. So uh, what a one to win. And he's also known as the man who won a Formula 1 race in a Formula 5000 as well, isn't he? Yeah, the Chevron at Brands Hatch, yeah. But I think that this is a better win, probably, because he's, he's had to... That I mean, was that, an inherited win, wasn't it? It was, really, yeah. yeah. And he was, yeah, but he was a multiple Formula 5000 champion, a very good driver, um, but not, I think, probably not quite, not really quite top draw when it came to F1, but he, yeah. he took his chance. Just remind us of that average top speed without the chicanes in there. It was just, I think it was 150.8 or average so. Average speed. Average yeah. speed, yeah. Holy yeah. moly, that's just frightening to But hear. what's fun about that, and I'm going to say this... There's nothing as, fun as, about that. As a Porsche 917 <laughs> fan, is that in 1771, the five-litre sports cars were fast around Monza and Spa. Wow. So the 1,000 the kilometres of Spa the following year, I think, was one at an average speed of 155 miles an hour, and that's with driver changes and pit stops and tyres, mm. which is... Frightening. Pretty scary, isn't it? Really frightening. Just yeah, the world coming at you fast for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, and the old spa was proper scary too. Yeah. And wow. the Monza slipstream was as well. There was, you know, 67 is a, a classic Grand Prix. 69 was a, a great one. 71, it seemed like every other year there'd be a absolutely unbelievably un, you know, f- brilliant Grand Prix at Monza before, yeah, it was, before the chicanes. Well, people get excited about Formula Ford racing, and rightly so. It's, it's yeah. great. But basically the reason it's good is because they got no aero. And they punch a hole in the air and they just slipstream around even quite small circuits. So imagine that, but with big tyres and proper engines and the best drivers in the world. Mm. Just, I mean, I, I think that, that race holds the record, uh, certainly in the, it's in the top two or three, the most lead changes. Yeah. But that actually only counts it at the line. So there are actually far more changes. It's just that they pass each other maybe a couple of times on each. That's just mm. a, one of those incredible, yeah, cool races. Also, did you know he was team manager at Tolman for a while? Peter Gethin? No, I don't think so. Yeah, he was. Yeah, no. and Peter Collins was brought in to replace him. Apparently, everyone really liked him, Gethin, uh, at Tolman, but he wasn't very good. He uh, didn't really know the job. And he lived in Sussex and had to travel up to Whitney every day and didn't didn't really like doing that very much. So he didn't last very long. But he was, yeah, briefly. Has, has this come out of the research for your Yeah, it uh, came out of the book. book yeah. Yeah. Putting yeah. It together. So my, I think, my Benetton I book. Think, yeah. I mentioned, <laughs> I mentioned my Benetton book. Well, not in this podcast. <laughs> in this <laughs> series, but not this episode. I think you can get away with another plug. That's yeah, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, right, let's move on. Who's okay. next on the list? This is this has got to be the most. The more time goes past, the more this race is ridiculous. So, the, I think the 2012 Spanish Grand Prix past the Maldonado. So, 
okay, that year's Williams actually wasn't a wasn't a bad car, and he yeah. he qualified on well, he didn't qualify on pole. He actually qualified second, but Lewis Hamilton, uh, his McLaren didn't have enough fuel for the uh, mm. for the sample test, so he got booted to the back of the grid. So Maldonado got pole, but you think, well, yeah, but he's not going to stay ahead of. Uh, you know, of, of the chasing pack for all the race, and he did actually lose the lead at one stage. But they, uh, Williams, got him back ahead of someone. Someone used no Fernando Alonso in a Ferrari <laughs> in his mirrors. And given that Maldonado spent quite a lot of his career, both in F1 and afterwards, hitting objects and making mistakes, like very quick. But but you would not put any money whatsoever on him holding off about the most relentless driver of the 21st century. But he did. He won the race. And uh, that tone I've just used there, slightly high. <laughs> but I, I, every time I look at it, I just think, how did that happen? Mm. Um, so just an astonishing performance, a great day. Um, I think it was Frank Williams' birthday, wasn't it, as well, yeah. that yeah. weekend? Yeah. And then there was a fire at the, the garage. So there was lots of conspiracy yeah. theories about, you know, what were they using, special <laughs> this or special that. But, you know, well, irrespective of all that, it's just, just a remark. Even, even if it was a massive engine or something, which I don't think it was, but he, he still didn't fall off while being chased by Alonso. So just, just an incredible day. Yeah, for me, this is very much the definition of the one-hit wonders because <laughs> there, there, there's no other race in Maldonado's, Maldonado's career that gets anywhere near it in, in, in my mind. Like, just, yeah, like you say, obviously benefited an inherited pole, but even then, it's qualifying front row and just, yeah, pretty much flawless race near enough apart from that sort of drop off the lead. But, yeah, the way you sort of control the pace... Manage the tyres right to the end, and like you say, Alonso at his home race. Like, if there's probably anyone you wouldn't want behind you in those circumstances, it was Fernando Alonso. But yeah, he he did it, and it was just in, in, incredible. And and like you say, just out of nowhere, much <laughs> much to the amusement of pretty much everyone that was watching. If you're thinking of one hit wonders as a 1980s pop one hit wonder yeah like that prob this probably is the definition of that isn't it and mm. it also goes far as that is it not one of the ugliest winners in f1 the car mm. i mean yes yeah, yeah. Not yeah, yeah. no no yeah. not against pasta <laughs> just, yeah. to, just no nothing against a lovely man yeah yeah but the car those horrible high noses yeah yeah, yeah. Lots, true. lots to remember about that race and he finished yeah. 3.2 seconds up the road from alonso he did pull away in the closing yeah. stages yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, i think fernando even then was like <laughs> i can't do it this is just not my day chaps <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to think that williams had one last sort of good era after that the martini years yeah and and they never actually won, won a race did they yeah. you know still stands as their last victory yeah. yeah I mean when they were quick they were still normally quite a long way back from Remarks. Mercedes weren't yeah, they? when yeah. Red Bull and Ferrari were still getting their act together in the turbo hybrid era yeah. they were second best but they were still a margin behind Mercedes that would put mm. them probably fourth or fifth now but they were unlucky they, that one didn't drop they would have done in previous years but I think that they were also a little bit tentative with their strategy a yeah. couple of times when they probably had the chance to go after yeah. you know, they had massive running ahead of Bottas when they should have swapped them and yeah. just a little bit off on their strategy against a team that was just used to winning every week. Yeah. Um, and, and that sort of conservative approach at that time of, we know we're not fighting Mercedes in the championship here, but fighting the rest of the round there was like, well, let's bank the points, let's not gamble and throw it away, which that was their focus at the time. So you sort of can excuse it a little a, bit. There's a lot to be said for um, the experience of winning and understanding what it takes to win and, and getting used to that habit of winning that teams who find, suddenly find themselves in that situation, they haven't been there before or for a long time, they, it's it's struggle. Mm. And I think that's, that's that's a good example of that, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. That's what makes the 2012 Spanish Grand Prix even more incredible, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who is on top of the podium? 
Jean-Pierre Beltoise, 1972 Monaco Grand Prix. So as a career, he's perhaps not ahead of some of the ones later on. It's a decent career and actually had been quick in the wet before. Um, uh, but I, t- I spoke to Tony Southgate about this, who's the BRM designer and who's just on his way out the door at this point. Um, but he said, you know, Beltoise is great to work with, actually, because I said to him after Pedro Rodriguez and Joseph were killed, did you feel a bit, you know, obviously that was a you know, terrible time. But did you feel a little bit like you, you know, you're lacking on the drive run? I said, well, not really, because you know, Jean Pierre was really good. Like, he was genuinely good, and actually, the following year, he outscored teammates Nicky Lauda and Clay Regazzoni. So, pretty, actually, pretty, probably a, a better driver than perhaps remembered, um, but had a sort of weak arm, which affected him perhaps in the dry a bit. Um, but in the wet, the reason this is here is none of that. It's because it's just one of the great wet weather performances. Um, he's fourth on the grid, which was no mean feat in the P160B, which was not a cutting-edge F1 car at that point. Yeah. It wasn't even BRM's current car. They just <laughs> The P180 hadn't been made to work yet, so yeah. they were using the older car. And he storms through from, from fourth, grabs the lead, and then disappears down the road. Um, Jackie X takes a little while to get back into second, and I think if you read the contemporary reports, there's an expectation that once X is into second, the wet weather master will catch... Beltoise. No, no, he finishes uh, nearly uh, 40 seconds behind, 38.2 seconds behind. And in third place is Emerson Fittipaldi on his way to win the World Championship, and he was lapped. Wow. <laughs> just uh, it's just one of those dominant. amazing wet weather drives that uh, may or may not appear in a future episode <laughs> of Series 3 Top 10 Podcast. So uh, I think it's an outstanding drive that stands comparison with the great drives of multiple champions and race winners and that's why it's on the list it's funny isn't it if, if he was it's a it's a you know we're watching the world cup at the moment you see goals or performances from Lionel Messi or and everyone everyone raves about him and someone fairly unknown does exactly the same thing and you go oh, that was great as I've just kind of forgotten quickly and it's kind of that thing with Beltois if he was a, a Fittipaldi or a Stewart this would be amongst their greatest wins and one of the great drives of all time but because it's Jean-Pierre Beltois, it's kind of overlooked, isn't it? So, yeah, that's very a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, very yeah, good yeah. choice to yeah. put him number one. So I'm sure he'll be delighted with being there, number one on this on this <laughs> list then. They'll take that. I mean, Southgate did say, you know, the V12 was probably the nice, smooth delivery. It was a good engine at that point. And obviously you can throw in, well, you know, Jackie Stewart was on the wrong tyres and was actually at that point suffering from a Giordino ulcer, which would actually make him miss a race. But I think that on that day, uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it was just a great drive, irrespective of who it was. Yeah. I was going to ask that about what was it about the car, the engine, the familiarity with that machine, the driver on the day, familiarity with that circuit. What was it that would make well, him I think so that, dominant? Yeah, so the V12 was was smooth, which would have helped powder. The Cosworth DFV was known as a bit of it was a bit rough, mm. um, so it was obviously the, the engine of the era. But seventy one, the V12 was still probably good enough to you know almost as good as the F. In seventy two, it was kind of fading, but it was still a very smooth engine. Uh, which, as I say, Southgate suggested helped. I think Beltoise, if he did have any kind of physical limitation because of his arm, wasn't so obvious in the wet. And I think he was just he was just one of those drivers in the mood on a track that reward in a con- track and conditions where it rewarded someone being, you know, a, virtu- a virtuoso performance. You know, he, there is some footage of it. And he's quite lurid at times. <laughs> you know, he's taking because he's taking chances in traffic and because initially it's like, oh, he's not in the spray, he's just pulling away. But he just carried on pulling away and diving. So he's just inspired. Mm-hmm. So I think it was a combination of right car, right driver, right place, right conditions. And there's no luck involved. Or no, misfortune for, for others, you could say. Whereas others we've mentioned quite a few times on this list, particularly the, the upper end, yeah, they need... 
certain things to go their way for others to hit misfortune or whatever. None of that you could apply to this. So I can see where you you've done this, and also just out of nowhere as well. I didn't score anything else in that year. Is that right? No, I don't think he scored no. any other any other any other points. Yeah, yeah, it's just which, ridiculous. Yeah, sort of makes it stand out even more. Like you just look, you would see the results on the page and go, where has that come from? But. This random little fact as well, this is the one time that they ran the Monaco Grand Prix with that slightly different uh, pit entry around the back. So uh, on the along the swimming pool, where mm-hmm. it's now the swimming pool, and they did the chicane in a different place and had the pits on that side. Was it the last year before the swimming pool? I'm trying to think. Swimming pool was around that time, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, not sure. No, it's, yeah, it was during that, during that period. Not quite sure. It might have been a little bit later. I have to, I have to check. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, just following Hay- Hayden's point, I think the the top two Beltrals and Maldonado they went out and won those races. And there was no question about it. The difference is that I think Maldonado that's an outstanding race for Pastor Maldonado. <laughs> the Beltrals win is just an outstanding race. Full stop. Yeah. Outstanding yeah, performance. Yeah. yeah, I like that idea of, the, of him lapping drivers at the hairpin and them sort of doing a double take and being who the hell's that Beltrar just flew past and sideways yeah Yeah. and then just disappearing off and being like what (laughs) love that thought hey a brilliant podcast today Uh, we'd always love to hear from you by the way you can email us podcast at autosport.com whenever I say this Kev always shakes his head in agreement in agreement no no, we no uh, or a well reasoned argument you love one of those from a, a, a a fairly together Oh yeah, uh, I, I do. To be fair, as I'm sort of being slightly facetious, obviously, but to be fair, I've had um, yeah. Thank you very much to those that have have sent me sort of constructive and interesting uh, arguments for other drivers or suggestions for for top tens. Actually, um, so uh, yeah, I'm always happy to engage. Might get, but that's, might get a few Sever fans not not happy. He's not on this list. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't make the the best drivers not to win the world championship or. No. The one hit wonders this, did he? The, f- no. the fan base won't be. Happy. He was, 11th. No. 11th he, he was right. very high in my uh, top 10 Tyrrells drivers when I did that. Do you think so? He was. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it's a fair, it's a fair shout. This is why we give shout. the uh, the email address and not our social. Because social oh, yeah. media would just be, you're wrong. No, you're I feel wrong. Like, I feel give... like Damo sunk me there right <laughs> at the very end. Battleship. I've got, <laughs> I've got Kev's mobile number here. It's, it's <laughs> Just text Kev. Uh, brilliant. Uh, we will be back this time next week for a new top 10 list in our third series. Thank you very much for listening and we'll catch you on that one. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.